Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito. We're here for episode 354 and part one of my conversation with percussionist, educator, steel pan teacher, and performer, and director of percussion at Santa Margarita Catholic High School in Southern California, Amanda Duncan. Let's get right to it. Amanda Duncan was put on my radar to have on the show after my conversation with one of her percussion buddies from her time at Northern Illinois University, recent guest Angela Kepley. I got in touch with Amanda soon after, and she agreed to be on the show. So here we are. Amanda has been active as a percussionist for many years. She's been teaching at Santa Margarita for almost a decade and has expanded her teaching to include theory and jazz studies. She's also been very active as a freelance percussionist and has been involved in many aspects of the Steel Pan universe, including working with Pan Rocks. Amanda's had many fantastic experiences in a lot of different ways throughout her life, so much so that our conversation went a bit long. So we're putting this into two parts. This week in part one, you'll hear about her teaching position, including the tough situation she ran into starting working there her freelance work, performing with Pan Rocks, growing up playing tennis and doing musical theater, and much more. Next week on part two, we'll get to the rest. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on June 26th, 2023, and it begins right now. Amanda, give me a summation of your percussion responsibilities as they are at this point. I'm a performer. I teach. And that's pretty much the bulk of what I do in the world of percussion. So I live in Los Angeles. Well, I live in Long Beach, California, which it's in the L.A. region. If you're not familiar with Los Angeles as a whole, uh, L.A. is about a 30-minute drive directly south of downtown Um, If there's no traffic, I should be very clear. It's about 30 minutes directly south of downtown LA. Long Beach, it's uh, it's a pretty big city, actually. It's almost 500,000 people. Um, But I mean, compared to city of LA, I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty... It's a suburb. It's a suburb, yeah. But I mean, it's a pretty significant city. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty big. It's got, there's like memes that go around that compare like parts of LA to like neighborhoods of Long Beach. And then there's like the wannabe West Hollywood and like all, you know, like the, the, the West side and all that stuff. So, um, so I live in Long Beach. I, so I, I'm a freelance percussionist and I gig all around the region, you know, LA, Orange County, I'm up in LA a lot. So Long Beach is kind of a good central location, um, for me in the region. Um, because I also, I teach high school music in South Orange County. So I, I'm the director of percussion at Santa Margarita Catholic High School, um, which is in South Orange County. Um, it's a little north of Mission Viejo. So if you know the five, Interstate 5, it, it runs like north-south up the whole West Coast. Um, so if, when, if you're in on the five in LA and you get into Orange County, you would go by Disneyland. And if you keep going farther south, you get to like Tustin and you'll get to Irvine, um, like Forest. So if you get to Mission Viejo, you'd exit there. And then you just go inland for another 20 minutes. And that's where Rancho Santa Margarita is. So I teach, so I teach there um, five days a week and I'm full-time faculty. And my specialty that I teach there is uh, steel band. Um, and pan is one of my specialties that I do 
in all percussion and drum set playing. So I just finished my ninth year there. So this upcoming school year will be my 10th year at the school. It's kind of hard to believe. So yeah, I basically, I, I teach high school during the week and I gig as much as I can on nights and weekends and summers. And that's pretty much what I do in percussion. It's funny, you kind of delved into, this is what you just did in terms of explaining and and the um, and the kind of the traffic thing was very much a New York specific because I grew up on Long Island. And so there's like a whole thing where, and it's also like the Californian skit in SNL where, uh, where it's like, you know, it's, you can have a four hour discussion of traffic and complete, be completely riveted. Cause it's like, cause it's, same thing. It's highways, it's exits it's, in New York, it's bridges. It's which way do you take? So yeah, I just, I, I, you kind of like, it brought me, it was like a familial thing for you to, for you to discuss the five and all the issues that that it has totally yeah and i think there's there's the yeah the californian skit of course is like classic but i think like 10 12 years ago there was some like youtuber videos going around it was like stuff people say in la and it's these like these two women who are just these transplants and they just say like the most cliche stuff but like i remember the ending of it is they just talk about like take you know five to the 605 to whatever freeways. And I realized, wait, you're going from Orange County to the Valley and you took the worst possible route. Wait, you're definitely not from here. Like clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that's like basically us in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, tell me about getting the job. Was this right out of uh, your master's? Not quite. It, there was a, two-year period between my master's um, at Northern Illinois University and when I got the job at Santa Margarita. So the way that it happened was uh, it was actually pretty, it, it's a pretty sad story. Uh, I mean, I, I have a great job, be, you know, now, but going back, it uh, I came in after my predecessor passed away in a car accident. Uh, so yeah, his name was Nick Kraus, who he was like a percussionist in the LA scene also. And I think he went to Columbia college or some, I can't remember where he went to school in Chicago. Uh, okay. but he went, he went to Lawrence, the Lawrence conservatory. Um, and it was also the kind of thing between him and I for years, like we had a lot of the same, uh, we knew a lot of the same people and we ran in a lot of similar like music circles in LA. Um, and then when we finally played a gig, we played a couple of gigs together over the years. Um, when we finally did, it was like, wait, how come this has never happened before? Um, so I didn't know him personally, like, um, in my friend circles, but I, I had worked with him a little bit over the years. And in fact, I, uh, I played a gig with him summer of 2014 and he passed away. Uh, I think it was Labor Day weekend. Yeah. Labor, early September, 2014 was when he passed away. So, so I heard about it and everything, um, at the time. Um, just through my circles. And also I was doing uh, some coaching at a couple local high schools in Orange County, like near the school where I'm at now. And some of my students there were friends with the students at Santa Margarita. And they were like, oh my God, did you hear about the teacher at this school? And so I, I knew what was going on. Um, but I never was like, ooh, job opportunity. Like that, I nev- that thought never crossed my mind um, ever. But then about two or three weeks later, I got a call from my now department chair um, asking if I wanted to come in for an interview because my name was recommended. Uh, Dave Gerhardt had recommended me. Dave is one of my former teachers. Um, hey, from- yeah. <laughs> <Dr>. <laughs> I love Dave. Dave. 
Oh yeah, Dave's a great guy. <laughs> yeah, he's I I so much. I know we'll chat about my backstory and everything, but uh, Dave's just an amazing person. Um, anyways, but he had given my number to uh, my uh, department chair. And so anyways, I did a, an interview, I did a teaching demo, um, and then I got the job. And I think all of that process happened within about like a, th- I think less than a three week time span. And let's see, it's October, it was October 2014 when I started. I know, not like not a, probably not a great thing to think about, but what was the situation you end up walking into? Because first of all, you, they're in school already, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh God, that it was, it was really difficult to walk into. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, and I just remember when I even walked, when I walked in for my interview, I just even walking in the front office, not really meeting any students yet, you could kind of feel that there was something hanging in the air, like grief, but there was something, something about the, the way that everyone, the look on everyone's faces or just their body language, you could just kind of tell something was going on. I remember like in my, uh, my interview, one of the questions I got was like, what do you say to the kids on the first day? And that's, well, that's an, and of course that's an extremely important thing that sets the tone for everything. Um, and I feel like I, lucky is not the right word. I don't want to say I'm lucky in that I knew what they were feeling, but I mean, I, I did. And I, in the interview, I said, well, and, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, my answer was, I know exactly what you're feeling because I lost my mentor too. Um, and I did tell the kids that the very first day that I met them. And I think for a, for a number of the kids that helped. And I know this because they have told me in, in the years since, I mean, because obviously the students who were there at the time, they've long since graduated, you know, and I keep in touch with a fair amount of them. But, um, you know, students write notes over the years, letters, things like that. And a couple of them specifically stated when you said I lost, quote, I lost my mentor too. That was when I knew like, okay, like you're, we can trust you, you know, Um, and, and some kids, you know, needed to keep their distance from me. Like, Obviously, they were always very respectful. They were never bad kids, never just dis, dis, uh, misbehaved or anything. Um, but it's like you do what you need to do in the class and you do what the teacher says because they're the teacher. But then you don't really try to get to know them anymore. And that was fine because they were Nick, Nick's kids. They were not mine. And I know that they felt that way. And like I tried to be I tried to make it really clear that I knew they felt that way and that I was OK with that. That was that was very tough. And also there was a little bit of just some discipline issues, not because I, I teach multiple levels of steel band um, with some of the beginners who hadn't really been there as long and kind of didn't really know the culture as well. There, there were some behavior problems like <laughs> but part of it is getting a new teacher. And also whenever you're a first year teacher, it's going to be the worst. Like it's the hardest year you're ever going to have no matter how seasoned you are or what a great scenario is that you walk into, or if you start like on day one, like everyone else, it doesn't matter. Your first year is always the hardest. Rather than day 58 for everyone else. Right. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's preschool through like you're teaching DMA students, like the first year is always the hardest. So 
I don't know how I got through that year. I mean, well, the students were amazing. A number of the students were really, really helpful. And I just tried to be like, what do you guys need from me? And most, a lot of the music they picked that year, I, I actually, um, there was a, we, we did some Black Keys because that was one of Nick's favorite bands. But I asked the students who he was closest with. I was like, hey guys, like, I think we should do a tribute to Nick. I think it'd be really nice what do you guys want to do? What should we do? You just tell me, I'll arrange it. And they said Black Keys because that was his favorite band. Um, so I don't, I made some kind of a medley. It's in our Steel Drums Music Library at school. I've, I've never taken it out since. I don't think I ever will. I mean, I never say never, but I don't anticipate ever taking that piece out again for any other group, but because I wrote it just for these kids, but it's in there. So yeah, and over time, it eventually became my program but that's not that's nothing special with my situation that's just the case anywhere you know it took about four years as it always does if you're a high school teacher for it to become yours that was kind of that was, that was my origin story as it as it were at the school yeah. what other items because you you mentioned the kind of i asked you about this percussion specific but i know that you're you're teaching a ton of stuff right Yes. Yeah. And I don't just teach steel pan. Um, I do teach a lot of things. Um, so let me, let me back up for a second. So at my school, I, I do a lot, but first off, like the, the core of what my job is there is, is being a faculty member is I teach five courses that makes me full-time. So I have this, I have four steel drum class periods. Um, I have two levels of steel drum ensemble. I have a, like a more advanced level and then a more beginner level. And, um, depending on enrollment, I might, it might be like two of each, like two top groups, two lower groups, or like one big group, three lower groups, things like that. Um, and then my fifth class is I also teach AP music theory there as well. Um, and uh, we have a band director, like there's an in instrumental music, there's two of us full-time faculty members. So I do the steel drums and I do AP music theory. And then my coworker, he, he is the more like the traditional band director. He does the wind ensemble, the orchestra. Um, we have, it's technically like a classical guitar class in the catalog, but it's effectively a rock band class. So he also teaches that. Um, and he's the marching band director. So like, I don't, I don't direct that thing. <laughs> um, but I, I am one of the percussion coaches for our marching band. So I get a stipend for that. Typically I'm, I'm the front ensemble coach, especially when COVID hit. Um, you know, I've, I have, I have done drumline. I've done, well, one of those two. I don't, I don't do anything like visual or anything like that. Um, you would not want me teaching visual ever for a marching band. Um, but so I have a percussion coach for that. And then, um, and that's, you know, the normally, uh, obviously just the fall season, um, through Thanksgiving. And then kind of new this past year is my school, um, in our whole performing arts department, we have, uh, music. So instrumental music and vocal music, and we have dance and we have theater. Um, but also, so those are like the daytime, like curriculum courses that the school offers as like electives for grades nine through 12. Uh, but then after school, um, about eight hours a week, we have an after school conservatory, um, which is, which is called the Talon Academy of the Performing Arts. We're eagles. So Talon, eagle. Yeah. It's, that's the connection. <laughs> so, so there's a lot of internal high-fiving that goes on after people put, put the connection together, right? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally doing all the high fives. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so that's short for TAPA. So if I say TAPA, that's what I'm referring to. And that 
is, like I said, it's about eight hours a week. Um, this last year, we met on Thursdays and Fridays after school, which that Friday was hard. So like this upcoming school year, the the, the schedule is changing, um, but we're taking Fridays out because like who wants to be here till 6.30 on a Friday night? Like students, oh, it's hard for the students. It's hard for the teachers too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, anyways, but through that, I teach, um, I'm basically like instrumental music, uh, which would could be anyone from like um, a percussion student learning music for um, college auditions who we, we did have a student who just graduated who was taking tapper for that. We have um, one of our string bass students and orchestra is also in that. We have a kid on trombone. We have some voice students. And I teach music theory for those students. And I also teach beginning Ableton for... Oh, my nice. A, a, the class is officially called like intro to MIDI slash DAW. But like, because our school is a Microsoft school. Like we're a one-to-one school. So like I can't use, I can't use Apple. Like... Right. We've, at least not no, at the, no logic, not, no garage band. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I would I hopefully maybe in the future we'd be able to have like there would be an exception made for us to be like, okay, well, this is industry standard. Like we need to, you know, use like um logic, garage band, um main stage. Reaper. Uh, yeah, exactly. And yeah. and everything. But so with all the factors considered, we decided Ableton's probably the best of all the things. So so I teach beginning. Ableton as well, um, which is a lot of fun. So, and then I over last year I kind of oversaw uh, private lessons for the instrumental students. It it was just called applied lessons, but I wasn't always teaching during that. I mean, I the percussion student I taught him lessons for. I prepped him for college auditions, but like the double bass kid, like I wasn't teaching him lessons. Yeah, like he had his own teacher outside of school. Um, or, or actually, in a bass coach that we hired. So I would just kind of oversee your practice time. And be like, okay, what are you working on this week? Mm-hmm. task cool good job mm-hmm. uh, so it's very similar to like a college setting in that way where like the kids kind of pick a track that they want to follow and they get to get some specialized training in those courses so so yeah so that's for instrumental music that would be you know music theory they did a year of piano now they're they're done with their piano so they're going to do something else next year and also trying to teach them the big basics of DAWs and just how to work with recording how to do all that stuff um how to do like um like record clips do some loop based things for fun just just so they understand a little bit about the basics of that stuff and like the theater kids they have their own courses that they do i know the voice students have like vocal techniques they languages things like that that they'll do or addiction classes i should say so that's all that and i get a stipend for that and that's like basically it's Maximum eight hours a week. Um, I don't, there's four class periods per se, but I don't teach all four. So that's that. That's a lot. Just hearing me say all that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. It's a long people. list on your, uh, on your bio. So yeah. Well, and, and I, I just realized too, I think I need to add the tapa stuff to my bio too. Yeah. I haven't done that. So this is a good reminder. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's a lot. So, so that's all the things I do at the school. Plus, you know, there's a little the extra little teacher requirement things that you have to do, like, you know, all the meetings you got to go to and whatnot and back to school night and open house. And well, since we're a Catholic school, you know, things like faith formation, little things like that. But yeah, that's just that that just comes with the job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a hard time getting a sense of what 
the numbers are? What's the what's the size of the bands? What are the size of how many students are you typically teaching? The size of the school, all that information. Great question. So the whole the school as a whole, I want to say it's in like the seventeen hundred range. For how many grades? Four. It's nine through twelve. Uh, wow, that's uh, that's a high school. Yeah, yeah, and it's all it's everybody. It's not like a girls only or boys only school. Yeah. It's everybody. It's pretty big for a Catholic high school. Yeah. Mind, mind you, like from my perspective, like because I I grew up in Long Beach and I went to Long Beach Poly. That's like where Snoop Dogg went, Cameron Diaz. But like I had two, I had a thousand people in my graduating class. We had four over four thousand students as the whole student population when I was at that high school. So like that's a mid major university. <laughs> yeah, I know it's huge. Well, I mean it's an it's an urban high school campus, but like yeah. so this school is like to me it's like oh this is small. But yeah. Everyone know oh, it's so big, but perspective is everything, right? Right. So that's the school. And then our performing arts department as a whole, um, like students who take one of our classes is like their elective during the school day. I want to say we have about two to 300 some students. I'm not sure the exact, like the pie chart of like, well, who's in theater, who's in instrumental, you know, I choir, things like that. That's a fair amount of people. And then in my steel drums program, uh, it's ranged anywhere from 40 kids to 85. Like two years ago, this would have been maybe three years ago. I think it was 2020 to the 2020, 2021 school year. I think I had about 80 some kids in steel drums, which was huge. I actually grew. And that was like in the middle of all the pandemic crap. Yeah. It was like, wait, wait, how did I grow? How did this, like every program shrinking all around the country and all my friends at their schools are like losing their jobs. And I'm like, I'm scrambling to find enough pans for everybody. Yeah. Um, and now- You just have the, the world's largest engine room. That's all. Man. I mean, I actually, I yes, I've done that. And it was pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just, there was this cohort of uh, gentlemen who just graduated as in like a month ago who- were with me for all four years together. And a lot of them ended up really, I guess, kind of specializing in Ninja Room, but they were just like, if they, I swear, if they could have had like, like football jerseys, but like for steel drums, they would just like do that all the time. Cause we would, they would have like huddles, like before we'd have huddles before concerts and like, and it just brought, they brought a lot of really high football athlete energy to the class, which I'm, I am okay with. I am not mad about that. I think that's great. So this upcoming year, like all of our numbers are kind of down a little bit. So I'm, it's a, I think I'm going to have about 40 to 50 kids this coming year. And so per class that breaks down to about, uh, it'll be about 10 to 12 per class, but I've had as many as 27 in a class. I've had as few as, uh, 10, no, nine in a class. Um, so I'd like to say like average, it averages out each year to about, I would say 15 to 20 kids per steel drum ensemble, like per, like per class period each year. That's about the average. I have, we have enough instruments for comfortably for about 22 kids. After that, it gets a little tricky. What's the breakdown per, um, like leads, cellos, guitars, all that stuff. The sections. Um, yeah. So we only have four. Like we don't. Uh, we don't have any double tenors or anything, or mm. double guitars, or tenor bass pans, or quads, or anything like that. Um, I'd love to. I just we don't have a facility big enough um, to store everything. Uh, so it breaks down to say we have a class of about let's say twenty kids. 
So we have we have two base pans. So we fill those up. So two base. Uh, typically, how, is it six? Have six? Six base. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we have two sets of six base. Uh, so we'll have two. We'll have two kids on those. Uh, usually about three cellos. We have triple cellos. Mm-hmm. Uh, triple guitars. Um, so that's five. And then usually do about four double seconds. Um, so if I want to do double second one and two, I can split it evenly. So that's what is that eight? Yeah, that's eight. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe nine. Um, maybe nine. Wait, two yeah. bass. Oh, two, three, five. four. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, two, three, okay. four. Uh, so then for tenors, I'll do usually about six to seven. Then the rest I'll put on engine room. Um, and because our tenors, um, they don't, um, they don't. Speak. With the drum, wait, with the drum set. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about how I approach the drum set in a second, but yeah. So like for interim, definitely like have the kid on, de- obviously depending on the genre of the music, but de- basically like a conga kid, iron, um, cowbell slash jam block slash shakers, you know, things like that, depending again, depending on what we're doing, um, and, and whatnot. So, um, but the, the, our tenor instruments, they don't quite they're not as resonant as our lower instruments. So that's why I, I tend, I often tend to go a little uh, higher on the number of tenors I have to compensate. The way I run the program is I, I teach from the drum set. If there's not a student who is mature enough, most importantly, and obviously has the chops to be able to handle the responsibility of being the drum set player, if I don't have a kid who can do that, then I play drums. I always would prefer to have a student playing drums whenever possible. It's just, it doesn't, we don't always have that. But right now, luckily we're, there's like, we're in this like period of time where I have like, I, I, I have a lot of students who can play kit very, well, I, I don't, I don't want to say decently enough, but like to a point where like they get the job done and they're consistent and, but most importantly, like they have the, the men, the right mentality and they have the maturity level to be able to like handle the responsibility um, which is great. In fact, for this past March uh, for our big spring concert, that was the first time um, for this big spring concert we have. That was the first time in nine years that I've not played drum set on that show. Mm. Which I was like, that's an accomplishment. Like, yeah, this is this is what I've been working towards. <laughs> so I was very happy about that. Describe what the what the function of a drum set player for steel band should be versus what they might do if they're in a big band jazz band or, or, um, or like a combo or even like a rock band situation. What makes that thing different? I think that there's a lot of overlap for sure. Um, I mean, the drum set player is the conductor essentially in the same way that in a jazz big band, the drum sets basically the conductor. Because because this actually has gotten me a little bit stumped at trying to think of how is it different. I mean, I'm sure it is, but my, well, the first things that come to mind are how they're similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, well, maybe I mean, is it style? Is just like a different type of styles that are that are not as obvious or not don't connect in the same way? Maybe. Oh well, I mean, we play a lot more soca and calypso, obviously, which sure. like in in a big band, probably not going to do that as much as sure. you're. Gonna do you know some other styles and and things like that like straight ahead jazz straight ahead swing mm-hmm. although having said that we do a lot we play a lot of different styles of music we've done we do some latin stuff we do um we've done some classical uh transcriptions as well where like the drum set turns into like a de facto like concert percussion section um mm-hmm. we've done 
Brazilian stuff. We've done some, you know, samba. We've done bossa nova. Um, we've done we done we did a whole rock show like last fall, which that was great. So I guess there's a lot of overlap. I mean, in that, you know, in all of these groups, you know, whether you're playing a rock band or um, like a like a salsa, if you're playing drums for a salsa band or a jazz big band or a steel band, I mean, the drummer is the conductor they're in the driver's seat and they are what will make the band um, sound good. And it's just, I think that's just the drummer's role in any style of music. Like that's, that is your, that's your, your, your main, your one and only job is to keep the time and to drive the ensemble in whatever direction the music needs to go. So, and so it's the same thing in the steel drums. And I think specifically like in my classroom, the reason I, I say about like the students need to have the right maturity level and be have the right mentality is always start with some warm ups of some kind. Like when we play our scales, like I, I'll you know I'll announce, okay, here's a scale. Or if I'm teaching a new scale, like the drum set player, while they may not be playing the notes of that scale, they need to be listening to me for the instruction and kind of be on standby, ready to count the band off. And just know that either when, you know, because I'll, I'll point to them or something. I'll say, oh, kick it off or whatever. And they just need to know that, okay, that's my cue to be ready at all times. So if the kid is like distracted or if they're like bored or if they're like noodling a little bit, they cannot be on the drum set. Like that's, that's specifically what I mean about like, how is that? Why is that the hot seat in the classroom? Like, that's why. Tell me a little bit about getting com- coming off of the um, outside of the teaching job, your work with the Pan Rocks group. Yes. So I have been fortunate enough to be involved in the Pan Rock stuff with Tracy Thornton since I want to say 2017 was when I first got connected with him. And I... I went to PASIC 2016, I think, maybe it's 2017. I'm getting, it's, it's been a while, so I might be getting my years mixed up, but it was either 2016 or 2017 when there was a big pan rock showcase at PASIC. Yeah, I remember um, that. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember which year, but I remember the show. Yeah, yeah. I, so I was in the audience for that, uh, in the ballroom for that. And I remember after the show, I went up to Tracy Thornton um, and... And I introduced myself just like, cause I had been following him for a while and I just been wanting to do it. And I knew so many people who were involved in pan rocks, but I myself wasn't able to make it out, um, for other basic performances. And so I just wanted to meet him and, you know, he realized I basically live in LA. Um, and he was like, Oh, I'm trying to get a foothold out in LA. Like I really want to get a show going. Like I've been trying to make connections, do the whole thing. So he was like, I'll be in touch. So when I come out to LA, let's do some stuff together. And so, uh, so 2017 came around and it was springtime. I don't remember the exact month, but uh, Tracy was out and he was putting together a show at the uh, the Whiskey A Go-Go up in Hollywood. There was It was like an ultimate jam night or something, kind of one of those like pay to play things that you do, I guess. Um, but it was like a lot of heavy hitters were going to be there that uh, Tracy wanted to get connected with um, or that he had already been talking to, I'm sure. It was just uh, trying to get more networking done and like showing off like this is what pan is capable of and like this is how it blends with rock so well it was me and tracy and ted goslin um and joseph peck i think we were the four there i'm trying to think if there's anyone else because it was this was a small group it wasn't the full band 
but I believe it was us three and Tracy. We played a set of a few like three or four tunes. Um, super fun, great time, had a had a wonderful time, great hang. And then Tracy uh just was like, Yeah, I'll be in touch, guys. And then from there, um, he organ he then organized the first like Pan Rocks LA session. Um, which was uh, up in Burbank at Ocean Studios, which I think is gone now. I, I'm not sure if it's still around. Um, but that was really fun. And I know a lot of pan players from all over the country flew into L.A. to be a part of that session. Um, and that was where I got, I got connected with a lot of different pan players who I had not yet uh, met at that point. Um, I know like Kayleen Justice was a part of that. I met her. Oh God, I'm like, I can't believe I'm blanking on some names right now. Um, I'll have to send you some more, Pete. Uh, but there are some really, really great people who I met. Um, I finally met Tyler Swick, who was there. Although actually, no, Tyler, I had met because we were in Trinidad together. We we were roommates in Trinidad in 2016 when we played with Silver Stars. So actually, I knew I knew Tyler before Pan Rocks. But it was so, but I met him again and everything. Um, I know Mike Schwebke was a part of that. He's a Northern Illinois University alum. He's part of the Chicago pan scene. Like I met him when I was in grad school. So a lot of great people were involved with that. And then another project later, about a year or two later, was the Pan Rocks Rush project that Tracy Oros also organized in LA. So for that, um, I know we had, he had Mike Portnoy come out and play drums, um, for that. And that was a lot of fun. He's pretty good. He's, he's not bad. He's I mean, you know, he's got some talent and I think he'll be, he'll be big someday. I think someday he'll make it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so that was a really fun, that was a really fun project to put together as well, uh, to get to be a part of, um, and that was filmed and everything. And I know, like, I think one of the videos for that, I think it was YYZ, one of them like kind of went viral and like. Uh, I know like Modern Drummer and Sabian and like all of like, you know, Mike's sponsors were, were posting about it and, and things like that. So that was pretty fun. And, and Tracy also did some virtual stuff when COVID hit, things like that. Um, so I just, that's kind of been my involvement with Pan Rocks um, and, and everything. So that's, uh, that's kind of how I, how, how I'm involved with, with that. So so it's fun. And in, anytime Tracy's out on the West Coast, he's always like, oh, we got to go get coffee. We got to go hang out. So he's just a cool guy. I didn't realize I, I, that you were in the audience and not on stage for that performance. Um, yeah, there were some pan players came up to me. They were like, I totally thought you were on stage. I was like, no, I, I was not. I was not on stage. There's something about PASIC with like people from LA and like the West Coast. It, it It's always hard for us to get out there because it's never close by. I mean, I don't know if you, when you lived in New York, if you kind of felt the same way, but. I was, when I was going to PASIC beforehand, I was coming from North Carolina or West Virginia. Okay. Um, so it was, and it, it, when I had been going pretty regularly, it's always been the Midwest. So I, I never, I wasn't going when it was in like Orlando. I went one year in Orlando cause we were playing, but um, I never, I didn't go when it was in Anaheim, like long time ago or anything like that. Okay. Um, so it's, it's always, I mean, and for the last like 15 years, it's pretty much been an indie with like a couple exceptions and which is five. It's great for me. It's five and a half hours away. So yeah, that's pretty but great for you. It's a, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> it's a little far. Yeah. It's always, it's like trying, trying to get a, a cheap enough plane ticket is always tough, you know, yeah. um, and everything. Amanda, where did you grow up? 
I grew up in Long Beach, California, um, which is actually where I still live. Um, so Long Beach, it's a pretty big city. So my parents live uh, near the Long Beach airport, and that's um, they live in a very suburban part of the city. And where I live now, it's in a much more, it's not like downtown uh, Long Beach, but it's in a, it's uh, in neighborhoods that are closer to that. And it's, there's a little bit more um, like hip, uh, kind of more like hip business, like independent bi- uh, shop districts nearby and things like that. And, um, and so it's a pretty cool place. Um, I'm like 12 minute walk from the, from the ocean. That's, that's key right yeah. there. Yeah. Also, I never go swimming in our ocean because Long Beach is like there's the breakwater, um, yeah, yeah. and so we have like literally no waves. So like if you if anyone ever comes to Southern California and wants to go surfing, for the love of God, please don't come to Long Beach to ever surf. like why why would you do that? Go to if you go to Santa Monica, go to Malibu, go you know uh, go to Orange County, but just don't come to Long Beach. Like there's no way. Yeah. All the all the low cost places, of course. Yeah, all the places that are very cheap and have a very low cost of living. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, did you have any family members in the arts? Well, not all professionally. Some professionally, um, but there, music definitely runs in my family. Um, so I know uh, both my parents are musically inclined. My dad plays. Well, played. He uh, doesn't play anymore. Um, guitar. He self taught uh, on guitar. And he has a great tenor voice, uh, self-taught singing. Um, I know when he was in college at uh, UC Riverside, he was in a couple of bands um, for fun, and they they played some shows and things like that. And my mom, she sang in choir when she was in school growing up. Um, and they both just have a really great appreciation for music and art and just, you know, all the arts in general, um, which is great. And my, my brother, he uh, sings, he plays... Uh, brass instruments like we both grew up playing music as kids um and then i know uh one of my uncles uh one of my late uncles he was a trumpet player he was a jazz trumpeter in chicago i think in the 70s um he went to berkeley school of music he actually i don't know if he is a full alum of niu but i know he went for a little bit at least he might have gone there this is like again like in the 70s like so it's way long time ago and then transferred to Berkeley in Boston, Berkeley school of music. Um, but he was a heavy hitter on the, on the jazz scene in Chicago in like the seventies and the eighties. I think I might have some opera singer like way back on my mom's side somewhere in Mexico. Like, I think I remember hearing about that over just like the family stories and things like that. So the arts definitely run, uh, definitely run in my family. Um, and so I, uh, I grew up doing a lot of music and, arts and things like that and a lot of other activities too just as kids do you do a little like a lot of little things all the time sports scouting music lessons things like that different activities that you do and everything well well just because you mentioned it because we'll come back to the music stuff obviously what kind of sports were you involved in oh god i did a few uh i remember i did a stint where I played uh, basketball and this is all in like the city of Long Beach, like recreational leagues and things like that. Um, so I did basketball for a little bit. I did soccer. I did, yeah, I did AYSO for a couple years. I think I started when I was like five. Um, it was really little. Uh, I did, I think I did volleyball for a little bit also, but the one sport that I really stuck with for a very long time was tennis. And oh, sweet. Yeah, I actually, I grew up playing tennis. Um, I think we, my brother and I, we first took lessons, I think we were about five or six. And this was summer 
summertime lessons that we would uh, we would do um, lessons through the local community college, um, and they had group group lessons for kids, and we just took to it and we loved it. And so, I think for almost my entire childhood, like from five till I think almost through the end of high school, um, or at least the beginning of high school, I uh, I played tennis. And actually, I played tennis in high school too. That was my sport. Yeah. Uh, d- describe your tennis game. Oh, now I just have to say, let me this disclaimer. I haven't picked up a racket in almost 20 years, like maybe. <laughs> so it's been a very, very long time. So you're not beating Djokovic today is what God, you're saying. No. Oh God, no, <laughs> no way. <laughs> I would be like afraid of like throwing out my shoulder now. If I just picked up my racket, I'd be like, I have to like get myself in shape. I got to like my conditioning back up. Yeah. yeah. All the things. Um, but no, I was, I was pretty, I was pretty fierce. Mm. I was pretty fierce. Well, my growing up, my main, uh, competitor would have been my brother, not in like an actual game for like a, like a team or anything, but like, you know, like if we go to the local tennis courts, we could walk there in like 10 minutes from where, where my parents' houses. Um, and we'd play like a singles match against each other. And I, of course, you know, we would always try to like whoop each other's butt. Yeah. yeah. Of, course. So, of course, as you do. Yes. He tries to beat his younger sister and I try to, I try to beat my older brother. So I would say pretty fierce. Cause I feel like I'd always like really, really try to go after the ball. I, I was a really big tomboy growing up. Um, mm. and I loved being outside. I loved running around. I loved playing sports. Um, I just, I had so much energy and like, I hated sitting inside doing puzzles or like playing like video games. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to get to that. Okay. That was exception sometimes. <laughs> but like, I, I could sit and play dolls for like, or play house for maybe three minutes. And then I'd be like, all right, I'm done. I'm out. I go outside and play and like run around in the dirt, like yeah. on your swing set, a jungle gym, all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, video games are different because um, those I would play a fair amount. Um, so, and this is going to like, explain how, uh, this is going to date me a little bit. Sure. So, very first video game my brother and I got was the Sega Genesis Christmas 91, nice. And we were, so we were, a, we were a Sega household. We were not Nintendo. So we didn't have super NES or anything like that um, until a, a Nintendo 64 came out. Then we got that. And then we were playing GoldenEye and Legend of Zelda all day. Um, and like Star Fox, Star Fox 64. Yeah. So we, so we had a Sega Genesis and we had all the Sonic games and, um, my brother and I would play all the time and my mom would actually get in on it as well. She's very savvy with tech stuff. She's always been like interested in the new tech things and, um, she's pretty good. She like, she could like whip our butts sometimes. Like, so I have to hand it to her. Uh, and, uh, so we played that and then when N64 came out, um, my brother, um, like, I think we got it for Christmas or something, whatever year, like 96 or 97 or whatever year that was. Um, but we had golden eye and like all of my brother's friends were just playing golden eye all the time. Like when he would go over to their houses, they would just have golden eye tournaments. And mm-hmm. I got pretty good at that, at that game. Um, I never beat it on like 007 level, but like I got like agent and what is it? Super agent was like the next level, I think. I don't remember. I I just know that that was a super super popular game. Oh, it was so, so the first was it the first like first person shooter game or one of the first ones? It was one of the first ones. I don't know if it was like the first, yeah. but it's one of the first. I I, I want to say it was like the first 
commercially successful first person shooter game. Yeah. Uh, and also I think with like Pierce Brosnan uh, taking his turn as 007, like in the nineties, like when he got that and like, that was, I think that was kind of part of the resurgence was like tight. It was tied into having the video game be a part of the franchise. And like, that's what boosted the popularity. It was like very symbiotic relationship, like helped the yeah. movie, the franchise helped the game. Um, but my favorite game was Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Wow. By far. I mean, GoldenEye was fun, but like I adored that game. And actually, a fun fact, I still have my... Ins- I kind of inherited it, the N64. Um, I still have it with me. It's in my apartment. It's packed up. I don't have it hooked up. I don't play it all the time, but it's packed away in, you know, in a storage container. And I have, I have all the games in there because every now and then I'll like take it out. And I'll just play for a little bit. That was I, that was my favorite favorite video game growing up. Aside from all the Sonic games on Sega Genesis. Oh, last thing on the tennis. Were you what was your thing? Were you like really good at, at? Could you get to every ball? Was that your one of your things? Were you like really good at defense? I was I was pretty. I think I was pretty good at defense. Um, I I played. Uh, I was on our uh, team in high school. Um, my first high school again. Uh. And I played, I was on JV, but for dub, for um, singles, but I would play doubles on varsity for some matches. So like I was, I was pretty good. I never did club sports. Um, I never was that interested in going that deep in it um, because that's what ended up happening with music instead of sports. But um, I was pretty darn good. So I imagine now if I took the time to like get myself back into it without injuring myself, I'd, I think I'd probably be pretty good. How does the percussion bug come to you then? Oh boy. Well, it started, well, um, I, I first took music, uh, music class, like music lessons, um, in elementary school. And I think it was third grade. I was eight. And I believe at the time in, um, the Long Beach Unified School District, music lessons would start in third grade and you could pick between violin or cello. And that's kind of all you would do. I think in fourth and fifth grade, they'd give you like flute and trumpet or things like that. But, um, all I had to pick from, from was, was violin or cello. And I picked violin. Um, I'm not entirely sure why I did. The only thing I can say for sure is I probably a big part of my decision was I didn't want to play what my brother played because he played cello and I'm sure he was thinking, I don't want to play what she's playing. So like, I'm going to pick cello, right? As siblings do. Um, he's my twin, by the way. So that's, we were in the same. And so that lasted about a year. I didn't love violin. I mean, I love music. Don't get me wrong, but violin was not my instrument. I didn't really enjoy it a whole lot. Um, and so once I finished my year, um, I did some other things, but also I, now I can't remember when I first did community theater, um, but I might've been around the same time in third grade. Cause I also, um, I have, I did community uh, musical theater when I was a kid as well for a couple years. Um, and I might have started in third grade. It was 94, 1994 was when I first did that. Cause I remember cause my parents have a picture of me and like the cast photo and it has the date, the year very clearly printed and it's 94. So, um, so whenever that was in my life, whatever grade I was in, uh, that was when I did that for the first time. And that was Oliver was my first show. And, um, that classic was classic kids, classic, classic kids. show. Yes. yes. Classic kids, classic, uh, community children's theater. Yes. Like that and Annie, I swear. But also, 
Also, second year was Sound of Music. So like another another kids show. Another classic one. So yeah, yeah. Um, now and that I really, I actually really enjoyed because um, I I did the Oliver by myself first. Like that first year it was just me. My brother wasn't in it, and then the second year I wanted to go back and do it again, another season of it. And my uh, for Sound of Music, and then my brother also did it, and some other kids in school were doing it as well. You know, I kind of brought some of my friends into it, so that was great. Uh, but I loved it. I had a really great time in it. I did a couple other things later on. I don't remember. There was some like Christmas review show thing I did with the same. It it was with a, a, a organization called My Art, which I believe stands for Musical Youth My Art Musical Youth Artist Repertory Theater. Uh, it's a nonprofit. I think they're in based on like Los Alamitos, which is in a uh, neighboring city in Orange County. Um, but they so they put on all these shows and stuff, and um, so I loved it. Um, I ended up not continuing to pursue that um, because, again, I just had so many interests as a kid. Because also the same around the same time, I started piano lessons. Mm. So I kind of like morphed from one thing to the next to the next, um, and I took to piano more than I took to anything prior to that. I'm actually, of course, now speaking as like uh, like an adult, I can be like, I'm so glad I took piano lessons as a kid. But like, I really am because it. Uh, it find it was something that I I truly really 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 enjoyed, um, and I wanted to pursue and actually wanted to play and practice. Like I was one of those weirdo kids who actually liked practicing, um, and everything. Um, and then so that took me to the end of um, elementary school, and so then I get to middle school, and I'm in band class because again I love music. I'm like, well, I'm gonna obviously take take band because that's fun, you know. And we had to pick instruments. And I think I was deciding between drum set and trombone. I cannot imagine what would have happened if I became a trombone player. Like, I cannot picture it, but it really, it almost happened. Uh, but I decided I wanted to go with drums. Now, mind you, I wanted to play just like drum set. Like, I wanted to just like rock out, do all the things. Because um, again, well, I'm, well I'm, I'm pretty young at this point. I'm still like seeing a lot of stuff like, you know, like, you know, rock music, pop music at the time. Um, I'm too young to have been part of the MTV generation. Um, I know that's more of a Gen X thing, which, and I'm a millennial. Um, so I, I missed the boat. I was too young for that, um, to, to watch MTV in its heyday. Um, but still like there were a lot of, you know, the nineties were a great time for like all popular music genres. And oh, yeah. I just wanted to be like so many of like drum, like drummers and the bands I loved and the pop groups that I loved. Um, so that's all I wanted to do. Um, but my parents, again, like they're musically savvy, like they're artistically, like they understand like how, how you things like this, when you become a percussionist, you don't just learn the drums, you don't the, the timpani and the cymbals and the xylophone and all that. So my parents made, uh, made, they kind of made a deal with me. They were like, okay, if you like learn the percussion, like all the things, the snare drum, the bass drum, the cymbals, the timpani and all that, then you can like if you do that like I think it was if I did it for a year then I could take drum set lessons. I think that's what we did. I might be a little I might be off a little bit, but that's what I remember it to be. Um, so I took them up on it, and so I started playing percussion in sixth grade band. Um, the only girl in a section of all boys, um, and it's like all the eighth grade and like seventh grade boys who were like all big and mean and thought they were oh, tough. Yeah. Oh yeah. Really, you know, seventh eighth grade boys are really like among the finest of the human species, as as we all know. The the epitome of excellence. Yes, yes. Finest we've got the best we've got. Yes, particularly in the in the percussion section, just oh, dynamic. Yes, 
dynamic. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no misogyny. No, not even remotely. Never tease girls ever. No. Never. No. So, but then I also, but then I smoked them out of the water. I was better than all of them. So there we go. That's yeah. what happened. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, that's kind of dip- it is kind of what happened. I think like I started drum set lessons in uh, seventh grade, and it was with a local drummer. I think his name was Scott Rosner, um, and he was great. He set me up just getting me playing. I remember the very first song I ever learned to play on drum set. So I, I my brother was into The Offspring for a while, and I took his CD. I um, I can't remember the name of the album, but whatever album has put, uh, "Pretty Fly for a White Guy." That's the first song I ever learned. Like. Nice like with a teacher and like mm-hmm. learn how to write everything out. Cause he would make me write things out too. I learned how to, I learned how to write music, uh, music notes on the staff from him and everything. So that was kind of cool. Um, and then I, I, I was advancing pretty quickly. And then also another thing that happened when I was in seventh grade was I did um, our district, um, all district honor band for the first time. Um, I had auditioned um, cause I was frankly getting a little bored and I wanted a little more of a challenge. And so I auditioned and I got in. And then um, there were only two of us. And there was just some an eighth grade boy from another middle school and then me. And so there was a percussion manager who was helping with the logistics. And he also doubled on whatever needed to be covered. And his name was Chris Stevens. And Chris Stevens became my next drum private percussion teacher and drum teacher. And he, like everything, everything changed around for me when I started working with Chris. Um, and Chris Stevens, he is the, uh, he's one of the two music teachers at Long Beach Poly, uh, Long Beach Polytechnic High School, which is where I ended up going. Um, but he is an incredible musician, master teacher. I mean, he, he played in the Disney bands, uh, Disneyland for like decades, like seasoned pro, um, and just, I mean, uh, and he's, he's turned the jazz program at Long Beach Poly into like a world-class, literally like Grammy winning, uh, school, Grammy winning program. Um, anyway, so I met him and that was when I started taking lessons with Chris Stevens in eighth grade. And that, that's where my hands were properly trained to, to play proper concert snare drum, got my drum set chops kind of going. And also I started to learn, uh, two mallets properly from him as well. Um, I had kind of resisted the whole mallet thing. Um, I just didn't want to be forced to learn how to like not write my the not write the letter names under my notes in my band music in school. Like my teacher, she was amazing. She did really work hard to try to get me to stop that, and it took me getting private lessons for me to stop it. But I eventually did. So I studied privately with Chris Stevens for this would have been about two thousand ninety nine or two thousand. Um, until 2003. So about three to four years. Um, and so then I went to high school and I, I went to two high schools. So the first one was uh, Lakewood High School, which it's in the Long Beach district, but it's in the near, nearby uh, neighboring city of Lakewood. And that, that program was fine. I just was not very challenged there. It wasn't quite the right fit for me, but I stuck it out for a while. And I think one thing that kind of got me turned off a little bit to the program was when I was a freshman, I was, you know, as a marching band, I was doing all the things and, and, and everything. And I was, uh, the only girl in drumline and, uh, yeah, there were the older boys were, uh, pretty awful to me. They were pretty awful. Um, they were mean. They just made, they kind of made fun of me. Not, and not all of them. I want to be very clear. Just a couple bad apples ruined it for everyone else. Um, but they also, there were, I, I clearly remember a couple times when they would, um, as teenage boys do, 
They have their locker room talk. Like in the middle of our sectional rehearsal and they're like talking about other girls they want to do stuff to mm-hmm. in front of me. They're asking my opinion about these girls, about what they want to do to them. Like, should we do this to her or whatever? And then they ask, they ask, they add, like, we're asking me what I, you know, what I would want. And I'm like 14 years old, mind you. So inappropriate for a 14 year old girl to have to go through this. And like, I did not understand a thing of what they were saying. Like, I knew it was not good, but I didn't quite get it. And so I remember I told my mom, I went home that day and I told her what happened. And she was like, livid she was enraged she was so angry and like she called my band director that very first day um he kind of took care of it but it didn't really make it a whole lot better um as as yeah that's that's always the problem when trying to get parents involved not because they don't they don't want they obviously want the best but like there's a they can only do so much well, right. And also, if the other kids' parents aren't going to do anything to stop their son from acting like a jerk, yeah, my mom could only do so much. She did everything she could. I mean, she went up, she went up to the administration, like, and right, I, right. You, know, you know, so anyways, um, but also at the same time, while all that's going on, like, I'm still playing in the band classes and I'm, I'm having fun, you know, it's not like I didn't, I didn't have any fun. And I was doing all the honor groups and things like that, um, still taking private lessons, but I... You know, some something changed in my head around uh, my sophomore year of high school. Um, again, I felt like I wasn't really getting challenged a whole lot. And through my experience of like doing these uh, these honor groups and like getting to know other kids from other schools who were like getting way more like challenging advanced music experiences than I was, I I think I I was realizing that like I think I want to I think I want to get more serious with this music thing. And so then I. I think it was about, yeah, my sophomore year that I decided I wanted to go into music professionally, or at least in college, like I wanted to pursue it seriously. Um, and that was also around the time that I stopped playing tennis uh, in high school, because <laughs> I, had, I had to make the choice. I couldn't do it all. So also around the same time, I had been introduced to, uh, my parents introduced me to, well, I, and uh, Chris Stevens introduced me to Evelyn Glennie, who was a big influence on me, and also Sheila E. Oh, sweet. <laughs> I mean, between the two of them, yeah. my, my whole world shifted. And like, also it's like, like seeing women doing this and realizing, holy crap, like I could do it, you know? And also in, um, one of the honor groups I did in, uh, in high school, the district groups, we got to play alongside with the Long Beach Symphony, um, which that, again, that was another open eye opening experience. And at the time, the principal of the uh, Long Beach Symphony was a woman named Linda Sue Marks. She's since retired, but she was principal there for, I think, 50 years, 40, <laughs> 50 years. Uh, I just saw her earlier this summer, um, at a percussion hang we had here in LA, but she is like a living legend. And, I got to work alongside her and like between, yeah. So the three of them, her, Evelyn Glennie and Sheila E just like that kind of opened up my world. Um, and so then I ended up transferring high schools middle of my junior year, like literally the last possible second, the district would have let my parents do this. Um, okay. So I transferred to Long Beach Poly, which is where my private teacher, uh, Chris Stevens was teaching. And so I had, I kind of had to stop lessons cause that would have been a little bit weird. Like him being my band director and I teach, I take private lessons from him. Um, and so at the same time, um, I, that was when I first met Dave Gerhardt. Mm. So, uh, cause Chris, Chris knew Dave very well. Um, and I, he passed me along to Dave for a couple reasons. Uh, one, 
I couldn't really take lessons with Chris anymore because being a student there, the school where he taught. Um, but also I had expressed that I wanted to go into, into music school for college. I wanted to major in music. And obviously like you got to prepare repertoire and Chris Stevens, amazing musician, amazing drum set player, amazing like classical percussionist, jazz drummer, vibraphonist, everything. Um, he had told my parents his strength is not formal like classical marimba. He, and that this is what Amanda will need to be able to go to college. Let me find a teacher for her. So she'll be well prepared. And so that's where Dave came into the picture. So I started studying with Dave my senior year of high school um, and specifically to prep music for my college auditions. That was the, that was the big, that was the big impetus for starting with Dave. And um, Dave was, Dave was amazing. Um, and he first taught me, you know, formal at Merma. My first piece was the uh, prelude to the G major Bach cello suite. Oh yeah, of course. First piece I ever learned with the formalets. Um, so um, and I did some which other is way, which honestly way better to play that with four than with two. Oh like, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's so much harder to play with two. <laughs> two it's harder to play two and you can't do as much. Yeah, I know. I no. know. So, well, and you're, you're the rate at which the, or the possibility for like hitting a wrong note, it goes up, it goes up exponentially if you use two mouths, like just use four, distribute the workload. Like yeah. why make life harder? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, um, so that was, uh, that was how I got in touch with Dave. And then, and then also once I, I transferred to poly, I, um, so I was there for only three semesters, like my senior year and then half my junior year. But my senior year, I remember doing, I did a all Southern California honor band. Um, I also made all, st all state for California. I made the all state honor band and I made the all state orchestra, um, for percussion, that was kind of what I had been wanting to do all along, but I never really, I, I didn't like, I knew I wanted to be challenged and I wanted to do something bigger. Um, and for me at the time, like that was like, Oh my God, I've reached the pinnacle right in high school. Um, cause it kind of was for me at the time. Um, so then I, uh, did college auditions and I auditioned a few places. I, uh, my dream school was USC university of Southern California, um, the Thornton school of music there. Um, and I also auditioned at the Oberlin Conservatory, uh, Mike Rosen, uh, Rosen, Rosen. He was, he was still there at the time. Um, I auditioned Cal State Northridge. Um, Karen Irvin Pershing was there, I think, or she might've, she was about to retire, but I know she auditioned me. Um, and a few other places, I think Fullerton, I can't, Cal State Fullerton. I can't remember a few other spots I auditioned and also Cal State Long Beach, which was my backup school. Um, and so I got in, I did not get into Oberlin obviously that was, that's really hard to get into. Um, but I got in everywhere else. And so I, so I got into my, uh, I got into my top school, USC. Um, and I was all set to go. Um, but it was, uh, I mean, it's a private school and it was very expensive. It still is more so now than ever before. And even with all of the financial aid and everything my parents were able to help pay for, uh, you know, we, we just, we just couldn't afford it. Um, not without me taking out an exorbitant amount of student loans. And my, my parents were like, absolutely not. You are not doing that. And at the time I was bitter and angry at them. Right. And now I'm so grateful that I never, I didn't do that. I'm so grateful because uh, they were right to not take out those loans. Um, so I, I ended up going to Long Beach State, which was my backup school. So it also was where Dave Gerhardt was on studio faculty. So it kind of worked out nicely anyways um, to go there. And uh, so I started there in fall 2004. 
And at the time, because the school is quite different now than what it was when I was there. Uh, but at the time, uh, Dr. Michael Carney uh, was the director of percussion studies there. And Dave Gerhardt was, was on faculty. Um, Rainer Carroll was also on faculty. Brad Dutz, uh, Randy Drake, and there are other... Oh, and um, Yeko Ledzekbo-Cole came in to work uh, with our, our world percussion group to do like A-way drumming and dancing and singing. Um, Kevin O'Sullivan came in as well. So we had a lot of great people, um, there. So, yeah, so that was, that's kind of what brought me to my undergrad at Cal State Long Beach was all of that. Making a decision to, to say, okay, uh, you like, cause one of the things I think, you know, now is that something like master's degrees, usually if you get into a program, you're usually doing assistantship, which helps with the tuition, which can like kind of factor that in. Um, undergrad, no. Uh, <laughs> and I actually, I didn't even know that USC was private. I, I guess I should have, but it doesn't sound like it's private school, but yeah. yeah, it's only private. I think tuition's like 60K or something now. It was like 30, it was like 35K when I was applying. Yeah. So, which, I mean, even if you take inflation into account, like it's, it's only gotten more expensive. Yeah. Um, the other thing that that you, of course make me think of is um, how awesome Sheila E is, and uh, I watched again the her drum solo from uh, Sign of the Times, which I remember the first time I saw that I was like, "What?" Because <laughs> she's in she's in heels playing that. I think. Oh my god! I uh, it's still one of my life goals to be able to play drum set in heels. I cannot do it. Like I wish I could because I love heels. But I can't wear them because I can't play drum set in them. <laughs> and I, I I would love to be able to do it. But I yeah. mean, no one is like Queen Sheila. She's amazing. Herself. I mean, you know, she's yeah. getting a star on the, on the Walk of Fame finally. Oh, that's it is about time. Yeah, it's overdue. I mean, again, that means nothing because it's like it's all about your artistry and like what you do as an actual musician. And but also like, come on, like it's taking this long. Yeah. It's about darn time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we'll get to part two with Amanda Duncan next week. Stay tuned. Timed in honor of the upcoming release of the Christopher Nolan film Oppenheimer is not the movie. I don't have that kind of clout for an advanced screening. But instead, this week's rave is the 2005 Pulitzer Prize winning biography that the film is based on, American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer, by Martin J. Sherwin and Kai Bird. Available wherever you get your books. I'd had this particular book recommended to me through a number of articles and lists of great books and things like that, but I just hadn't gotten around to reading it. However, seeing the opportunity of this Oppenheimer film coming, I got a chance to set aside time during the summer to read this very large book, and it was very well worth it. Prior to reading, my knowledge of Robert Oppenheimer came down to something like Father of the Atomic Bomb. That was about it. So I was well positioned to take in this long read. The backstory of how this book came about is also notable. Apparently, Martin J. Sherwin, 
who was already an established author, had done an enormous amount of research, starting in the late 70s for this book, interviewing many of the major players, considering the major events of Oppenheimer's life, take place from the early 1940s to the mid-1950s. And after doing all of the research, came up somewhat with a case of writer's block, trying to put all this work into a workable and readable situation. Then, in the late 1990s, entered a reluctant Kai Bird, another friend and author, who took up a lot of the slack and, with the help of a renegotiated book contract, got the work into something that was readable. And the great work is seen throughout this entire book. Part of the excellence of the work is the way that it builds not only the character of Oppenheimer himself, someone who is full of complexities and contradictions, but also how the forces that helped to bring him up would eventually also bring him down. While, as I mentioned, I was just aware of his role in developing the technology that was deployed in Japan to end World War II, I was not aware of the aftermath of that situation, particularly as it regarded his shaky and unclear past with elements of communism, the ways that he got caught up in what was referred to as the Red Scare, and his realization of what the development of the atomic bomb and future larger bombs could possibly mean for the future of human civilization. All of these elements are there from the beginning of the book, which also takes in a lot of context about pre- and post-World War II relationships of the United States to other countries, the ways that certain folks in power lost their minds trying to take down Oppenheimer, and how the relationships between family, friends, occasional lovers, etc., all had a place in his long and complicated story. A true masterwork and well worth a lot of your time. If you're up for it, check out American Prometheus by Martin J. Sherwin and Kai Bird. You can do this both before and after you see Oppenheimer in theaters. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete'sPerkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time for part two with Amanda Duncan. Until then.